And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. It's the second best day of the week. That's right, getting ready to close out the week already. My, it's gone by quick. And also, a fit, kind of officially, sort of, maybe a little bit today, we kicked off earnings season. Pepsi uh, announcing earnings, beat earnings, of course, <laughs> because we lowered the bar. Now they, pat, they beat it. Uh, but really, over the next couple of days, uh, tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, all the big banks are going to start reporting. So really, officially moving into that second quarter earnings season. Lots of high hopes here. Markets have rallied strongly this year in anticipation of that. One of the stocks that have really rallied strongly this year, of course, up over 160% this year, is the indomitable NVIDIA, which has been all about AI and what's going on. And very interestingly, uh, just yesterday, Elon Musk launched his latest new company, right? Uh, it's called XAI. It is his new artificial intelligence company. So along with SpaceX and Tesla, now his next, uh, next venture is now called XAI. Now, why is this important? Well, he, he basically ordered thousands of GPUs from NVIDIA. So one of the reasons why NVIDIA had such a strong outlook was because of this launching of this company that had been talked about, but Elon Musk in there buying thousands of GPUs uh, to launch this new AI company. Of course, his team that he's brought in as a collaborative effort from some of the, the biggest projects from both ChatGPT and, and, and OpenAI and others all coming together to launch this new company. And his goal is to discover, basically use artificial in, uh, intelligence to discover the universe for the most part. But more importantly, is to bring truth to what is AI is actually putting out. So it'll be a very interesting project that he's working on, but here's the interesting you know, kind of tie here. There's, given the expense of these GPUs, and, and some of these GPUs can run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this, and you need a lot of them to do AI projects. And we've talked about this before, is like how many companies out there have the capital to purchase large quantities of these, right? And there's not that many out there. So one of the things is, is that yes, XAI provided a lot of buying of these GPUs from NVIDIA, which showed up in their earnings outlook. The question is, is how sustainable is that? Is there, is there a slate of more XAIs out there to continue buying these chips in order to get, and these GPUs, both chips and GPUs, to continue to support the earnings outlook for NVIDIA going forward? This is just one of the challenges that we're gonna have to kind of watch uh, as particularly whenever we go into a new venture like this. You know, first it was the, you know, the dot-com and then of course the web developed and all this. You know, now we're into this new AI phase. Question is how sustainable is it? And of course it is gonna be sustainable, don't get me wrong. AI is gonna be here, it's coming. Uh, but how many companies have the ability to spend hundreds of millions of potential dollars um, you know, to launch a new AI company. Yeah, Elon Musk can do it because he's got billions of dollars sitting in the, you know, kind of in the background. And, you know, he's got the capability and cash and network to do that. A lot of companies don't, particularly in the smaller realm. So the question is going to be coming again as we take, a, you know, kind of watch NVIDIA. It's been all the talk. It's just how sustainable 
are 50% growth rate in earnings. And, and odds are they can't sustain that rate of growth in earnings over time. So you have to come back to the real valuation question ultimately of what is NVIDIA worth you know, going forward. Now, again, that totally bypasses the whole conversation about just pure rampant speculation and, and enthusiasm about the markets. And there's certainly a lot of enthusiasm. Sentiment positioning now reaching back to very bullish levels at the investors. Sentiment rising up back to previous highs. And as of yesterday, now new talk about all-time highs in the market by the end of this year. Uh, Goldman Sachs survey of clients have a lot of their clients asking, are we going to make new all-time highs by the end of this year? Of course, that's all going to be dependent on earnings. And of course, as we go into second quarter earnings season, we're going to get a good real kind of sampling about just how good those earnings are. Nonetheless, yesterday, of course, that was the big CPI report coming in a bit cooler than expected. We're going to talk about that a little bit more with Michael Leibowitz this morning. And does that change the Fed's outlook on rate hikes of one, two, or more? Uh, does that decline in CPI yesterday have much to do with that? But here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Now, markets rallied yesterday. Now, yesterday we talked about the CPI report. And we said if the CPI report comes in hotter than expected, we could expect up to a 1% to 1.5% decline in the market. If it comes in weaker than expected, we could see as much as a 1% to 1.5% rise in the markets yesterday. And that rise would break us out of this consolidation range that we have been in. And of course, that's exactly what happened yesterday. The CPI number came in at 0.2 versus 0.3. That dropped the overall inflation rate to 3% on a year-over-year basis. That was the juice the markets needed to say, okay, the Fed's done hiking rates. If they hike rates in July, that'll be their last rate hike. That pushed the markets up above that breakout trading range. So here we are. We've now had a consolidation range. We were on a sell signal, and we've broken out to the upside of that. And, of course, this is about to flip this the sell signal that we've had over the last few days, actually the last couple of weeks, back to a buy signal. This is going to push the markets higher. Market futures are pointing higher this morning. We're up about 100 points on the NASDAQ about a good 16, 17 points uh, on the S&P. And of course, that's going to be mostly tech-driven today um, with the Dow kind of lagging the open this morning, only up about 56 points. But again, you know, we had have kind of been consolidating here for the last week or so. This breakout is going to give the market some room to run here. And there's not a lot of resistance between here and all-time highs now. So while, you know, while Goldman Sachs is starting to talk about all-time highs, the, the reality is, is there's not a lot to stop the markets at this point from reaching all-time highs. We're in a seasonally weak part of the year, of course, with summer. So again, if you take a look at the put-call ratio, it is put hate all across the board. Nobody uh, believes this market is going to have a decline whatsoever. Um, and generally, when you get a big divergence between the market and, and the number of puts, that's generally a good contrarian indicator. You're going to get at least a short-term correction. Still think that's real possible sometime this summer. But by the time we get to October, November, December, we could very well be talking about a rally back to all-time highs. So again, you know, there's really no reason to be overly negative in the markets right now. Use dips as an opportunity to increase some exposure to some degree. Uh, get your portfolios kind of aligned with where you want them to be. Uh, the time to be uber negative was behind us. That's, uh, that's kind of been over now for a while. Still a lot of concerns out there, of course, about recession and other stuff. Hey, I get it. 
Markets looking well past that now. In fact, if you take a look at the markets and sentiment versus economic indicators, they're leading those indicators right now. And we're going to start to see, as we saw with the ISM services index, begin to see some of those more negative economic indicators start to now turn positive. Sentiments rising across the board, both consumer expectations are rising as well as current and coincident sentiment, that's rising as well. Not surprising, that's that wealth effect kicking in here from the markets. Again, something we'll talk about with Michael Leibowitz, certainly working against this Fed's idea of, of quailing inflation, but with the inflation data coming down now, uh, there doesn't really seem to be a lot to keep the markets back at this point. And again, there's a lot of capital still needs to come into the markets. A lot of investors now on the sidelines needing to chase this market higher. But again, you know, does it mean that we're not going to have a, some corrective action along the way to allow you to, to get your portfolios back in line with the markets if you need to do that? We're working on that steadily here because we've been underweight equities through the first part of this year. We definitely have to get those portfolios in line with the markets as well. That's going to be the challenge we're working on this summer. That's what you need to know before the bell. When we come back from the break, we'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz. We'll get into the CPI report from yesterday and also what does that mean for the Fed, the rate hike at the meeting coming up, and rate hikes after that. Don't go away. More of The Real Investment Show coming up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Declare your financial independence and prepare for the second half of 2023 with the RIA Mid-Year Economic Review. Saturday, July 22nd. With Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Chief Investment Strategist Lance Roberts. Get our report card for the market so far and what you need to know to invest profitably for the rest of the year. Register now for the RIA Mid-Year Economic Review, Saturday, July 22nd, with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. You know, younger generation is always doing stuff to get fame and fortune you know, on social media. And of course, we've seen a lot of people do really stupid things on social media from eating Tide Pods to a whole variety of other things to try to get clicks, views, those type of to, those type of things, right? And the, the hope is uh, to become the next Mr. Beast. If you don't know who Mr. Beast is, he's one of the leading YouTubers and TikTokers out there that does kind of wild and extravagant, you know, events um, to game views and of course he makes a lot of money from doing this he makes millions of dollars a year from you know being an influencer and that's of course the new the new job role I'm, I'm, i haven't seen a college course yet for the job role of influencer but i'm sure it's coming um you know <laughs> i have a degree in being an influencer um i'm sure it's coming right you know right along with basket weaving but you know here's a job posting uh that was put out in a paper uh, that is right down the line for a young individual that wants to get fame and fortune uh, on this. Human bait needed. Volunteer position for Bigfoot Research product, uh, Project. This fall in Texas. Safety not guaranteed. Must have strong worth ethic, some camping skills. The reward? Fame. Visit human-bait.com to apply. So if you're interested, human-bait.com and you too. 
can go spend some time this summer seeking out Bigfoot. Um, all you need is some Jack's links. I mean, yeah. that's it. So, anyway. Uh, this morning, as I was saying earlier, PepsiCo uh, announcing earnings. They beat estimates, raising their full-year outlook, uh, even as higher prices are hurting demand somewhat. thought this was interesting, though, because Delta, uh, the airline company, they posted record quarterly earnings, and they're hiking their full-year outlook on travel boom. Now, again, this is, this. you know, pay attention to these headlines that are coming out because, again, lots of people talking about, oh, recession's coming, you know, this is all going to happen. The lag effect of these Fed rate hikes is going to impact the consumer. Higher credit card rates are going to impact the consumer. But consumers are still traveling, right? They're still tapping their credit card debts. They've still got income coming in. And like I said, Delta's just posting record quarterly profits uh, based on a travel boom that's going on. So it certainly that certainly isn't a sign that correlates with this whole idea of this impending recession right around the corner. ISM services indexes are ticking back up. Uh, consumer confidence is improving. And as I said in, in the open, and this is this all kind of ties into to what the Fed's dealing with, is you know the Fed's been hiking rates with this idea of, hey, I need to slow down economic demand. I need to raise unemployment so that we can bring inflation down. But, you know, a rising stock market increases that wealth effect. People feel more, they, they feel better about spending money on something like, oh, let's let's take a trip because, you know, my portfolio is up another, you know, 3% over the last quarter. Um, you know, you know, I feel good about that because that money is actually, you know, it's kind of a free trip. My, my portfolio has risen enough to pay for the trip. So, you know, it's kind of a free trip. Let's go take it. Um, that increases consumer confidence, increases consumption in the economy, and that is all easing monetary conditions, which is undermining exactly what the Fed's trying to do. So Michael Leibowitz joining them this morning. Uh, of course, we've got the Fed meeting coming up later this month. Uh, pretty much a shoe-in bet right now that the Fed's going to hike rates another 25 basis points. The market, and this was really kind of the rally yesterday, based on that inflation number, the market now betting on it's a one and done now uh, with the Fed. Of course, that's also what they thought about earlier this year <laughs> with the markets as well. Um, but Mike, you know, it's a, it's a real you know this is a real problem facing the Fed. You know, inflation's coming down. They said their goal was to their their goal was never to get to two percent inflation. What the Fed said was we're looking for a clear trajectory of inflation falling towards our target rate of two percent. Clearly, have that now. Um, in their their kind of you know support for raising rates is getting you know pretty much you know eaten away at this point eroded um, by what's going on um, and and the markets are now starting to really bet pretty hard that the Fed is now done hiking rates and the next thing to come obviously are, are rate cuts. Um, what's your take on yesterday's inflation report and what does it mean for the Fed? Yeah, the inflation report was great. Just about every set of you know, the, the headline data, and then if you dig into the weeds, everything was good. Uh, Powell's uh, key inflation barometer, which is core services, so that excludes food and energy, just services, and it excludes shelter. So it's, you know, you know a, a small part of, or it's a part of CPI, but relatively small part. That fell more than expected. All the core data, the, the headline data was all slightly lower than expected. Uh, one thing we wrote about for our commentary today is 
the difference between these year-over-year numbers and the monthly numbers, and they can be very misleading. So, so year year-over-year basically is the last 12 months. So as you move forward every month, you're taking away whatever that inflation reading was from 12 months ago. Inflation was running rampant. I think it was 1.2% a year ago that just got taken out of the the year-over-year CPI. So no matter what CPI did yesterday, the year-over-year rate was going to fall, you know, pretty drastically. And that's what happened. It dropped from 4% to 3%. And it wasn't a surprise to anyone because the market was expecting 3.1, 3.2%. But you have to be careful both ways with these, with these kind of what they call the headline numbers. You know, if you if you open up your newspaper this morning, go online, you're going to see inflation fell from four to three percent, which is true. But what we what we what I like to look at is what are the monthly numbers? What if you annualize the last three months? And the story is also very good there as well, that the the rate of inflation is, you know, is probably two and a half, three and a half percent. It fluctuate. It's been fluctuating a little. But, you know, the these the year over year data for core is still pretty high. But again, if you dig into what the recent trends are, they're much lower. So to your point, Lance, I think you're right. I think the the Fed is starting to get into another kind of trap that they don't want to lower rates, but inflation is meeting their expectations. Um, so, you know, this gets interesting. Is there a soft landing, a no landing? A uh, we just, is the economy just going to continue to roll from here? Uh, I still believe in the lag effect. I mean, I, I just think it's going to take a while for these interest rates to fully affect the economy. Now, if the Fed can get interest rates down, and the bond market can do the Fed's job and get interest rates down. You offset some, you know, some of that lag effect. But I still think there's a lag effect. But we're not going to feel it economically until the labor market softens. And you know, right now it doesn't appear the labor market. There's some, you know, nascent signs of weakening, but nothing that should disturb anyone, or nothing that you can say is trending in a direction that that should concern, should be concerning. So. Uh, you know, again, with the CPI data, I think it just says all eyes on the labor market. So, you know, we'll look at jobless claims this morning. And then on a monthly basis, we get the BLS reports, the ADP reports, the JOLTS reports. We get our surveys, uh, the University of Michigan Consumer Survey on Employment, and try to put it all together. And, and you know, it, it seems like it's smooth sailing until we see signs that the labor market is struggling in any way yeah and and you know the the i guess the question is is a year from now you know are you still going to be sitting here going oh well, i believe in the lag effect it just hasn't shown up yet you know this is the challenge um you know there's so much money that's coming into the economy um you know we've had so many bills passed spending bills passed you know by the administration for inflation reduction and and this bill and that bill i mean it's just it's literally just trillions of dollars that are still cycling into the economy, which is, you know, keeping things, you know, running at this point. And again, while we've had, uh, you know, a very strong labor market, we're only back to where we were really kind of pre-pandemic. We've just kind of put everybody back to work. So, you know, there's, you know, potentially if the economy is running kind of at a normal basis 
and 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 can sustain these higher rates on the short end of the curve that's the big question you know there's you know potentially a reason that the economy may just kind of keep chugging along here because of all that monetary liquidity and when you take a look at m2 as a percentage of gdp it's still extremely elevated there's just a lot of money sitting out there right now and right. and that's give and again you know you take a look at delta and pepsi and others you know consumers are weathering these higher interest rates and higher costs you know it's it's tampered demand a little bit more for budweiser than others but you know um you know it's it's you know consumers are still hanging in there and the question is and 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 again there's the old saying of course you know never bet against the consumer because they're very crafty about coming up with ways to spend money and they seem to be doing a good job of that right and there's a lot of pent-up demand right we saw this with unh about a, a month or two ago where they said insurance claims are rising for elderly people that are doing elective surgery yeah Right. I think we're seeing that with travel. We're seeing that with going out to dinner. There were a lot of people that were that were still kind of locking themselves down to varying degrees not that long ago. Mm -hmm. So they're coming out of their caves and they're they're spending money that they've been saving for three years. Um, they're, they're meeting their demands that they've been deprived of, uh, you know, things they want, things they want to do. Uh, so, so just don't look past some of that stuff either. And, and that's why we've seen it month in and month out. The economic gains are coming in entertainment, travel, restaurants, leisure, leisure yeah. yep. those industries. Well, and again, look, we're going to have another good litmus test coming up um, really Friday, Monday, Tuesday next week when we start getting reports of just how good Amazon's Prime Day was, uh, of course, which really kind of kicked off yesterday. Um, we'll see, you know, how just how robust consumer spending is. Um, Amazon will give us kind of a good first crack at just how resilient the consumer is, or do we see a big decline in it? Right? Do does, does Amazon Prime Day actually flop this year? We'll we'll find out in a few days. But I'll tell us a lot about really the status of the consumer as well. Okay, quick break. We'll come back. Um, kind of following through with this whole idea of the Fed hiking rates. The question is, is and of course, what the market's betting on is they're going to be cutting rates. The question is why? We'll talk about that when we come back with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So the question is, of course, as we were talking about, the Fed uh, coming up on their meeting in July, that's highly expected. It's almost a lock that the Fed will hike interest rates by 25 basis points. And pretty much they don't have a choice. They've already stated that they're going to hike rates. And if they don't do that, it will appear that they are too dovish and the markets could lose confidence. I'm, I'm not sure the market has confidence in the Fed anymore. They just kind of hope they're going to cut rates. Um, but that could impair... Um, you know, the Fed's credibility if they don't hike rates. So, uh, you know, pretty much guarantee they're going to hike rates 25 basis points. The question is going to be, is that the last one or do they continue to talk about the potential for another rate hike as they have alluded to, uh, you know, really kind of earlier this month and last month. But the real question comes, of course, and what the market's hoping for is that the Fed is going to start cutting rates. And, you know, this becomes an interesting 
conversation because the belief of the market is, is that because inflation is falling, that the Fed needs to cut rates. But the question that I have is, is, well, if the if interest rates are five percent and the economy's doing fine and consumers are spending and weathering, you know, higher rates, why would I cut rates? Um, you know, higher rates increase net income net interest income for the banks. Higher interest rates give, you know, lenders the ability to make more money on loans that they're putting out there. Um, there's some positive benefits of higher rates. And if I cut rates now without the economy in a recession or having some you know, need to do so, then I use ammo you, uh, you know, kind of that I would use for a recession, really not for, much, um, for not much benefit. So I, you know, the, the problem I have, Mike, is why would the Fed cut rates unless what you're expecting comes to pass? Right. And, and here's something else to think about. What if the Fed six months ago thought they had the battle won and dropped rates to zero percent or you know back one or two percent would the what would the economy be doing now and or you know if they had never really raised rates the economy would be a, a lot lot stronger than it is today the market would be up a lot more that would be feeding the economy mm -hmm. right so the fed is restraining the economy so so i think what your real question is why would the fed not keep restraining the economy. The economy is at a good, you know, it's like walking a dog. You're walking at a good pace. The Fed likes the pace. Um, why would you want to pick up the pace at this point and potentially create more inflationary pressure? I just don't get the case for it unless you have real banking problems. Right. Um, we, we know the Fed will do whatever it takes to save the banks. That that involves inflation. That involves layoffs in the economy that includes recessions so the fed will do what it takes to save the banks but barring bank issues there's not really a case even if inflation starts printing around two percent pretty steadily to really lower rates they may do a marginal 25 here or there but again if i'm them i save that ammo for a rainy mm -hmm. day yeah and you know speaking of though that's a, a great point you know starting uh really uh next week in earnest is the big banks I think we have a couple of banks maybe tomorrow, um, but we've got most of the banks are going to be reporting earnings uh, next week. And, and you know, the, the, to your point, the question is, is, is the banking crisis over? Right. You know, we had this right. whole big banking crisis back in March that lasted about 37 seconds. Uh, the Fed came out, created the BTFB or P fund um, to bail out these banks and this you know then that seems to have worked at this point and you know there's not been much of a mention of a banking crisis since then markets have continued to improve bank stocks are they're not they're not pacing the market this year they're they're not up that much but you know they're they're not going down uh mm -hmm. so you know we're about to hit earnings season for that and i'll just read to you a, a clip from the wall street journal this morning asking the same question uh lenders will sort through the damage from this year's banking crisis when they report their financial results starting on friday earnings for the second quarter will show whether recent failures of three lenders and the slowing economy are eroding what has been a long period of strength for the industry earnings are expected to fall about seven percent in the quarter from a year earlier this is according to Keith Bruett and Woods. Um, 
And the biggest banks are expected to have fared well and in some cases thrived. Of course, J.P. Morgan leading the way. And, and, and a lot of that thriving is coming from these higher interest rates, right? That increases the net interest income for banks. The, mm-hmm. just basically, the spread between what they borrow at and what they lend at is, is what you know, generates their profit. Um, you know, the, of course, the, the, big, the big thing out there is this $3 trillion worth of commercial real estate debt that's sitting on their books. Um, you know, that's, this has kind of been one of the, the big concerns that there's going to be this commercial real estate kind of impact to banks, and, and it's certainly not a small impact. Uh, there's a billion square feet of empty, vacant uh, commercial real estate space in the country right now. So there's certainly some risk on that side of, uh, of the ledger. And, of course, uh, they've got a lot of losses because of the rise in interest rates. That's cre- and, and, of course, this is what created the, bond, the, the banking crisis earlier this year was the degradation of the prices of the bonds they hold as collateral in their books. Those things haven't gone away. They're potentially not getting much worse at this point, but they're certainly not getting better. Your thoughts? Right. Yeah, I, the margins are the big issue. So so you have kind of two phases of bank earnings. The big boys actually start tomorrow, JP Morgan, Bank America, those guys. What we're gonna wanna what we're gonna wanna listen to from them is what's going on with their margins. Are they still seeing deposit outflows? Uh, how much are they putting aside for potential credit losses? So that last one will tell you what they think about the economy. Not what they tell you, but what they're actually thinking. If they're putting away more than expected in credit reserves, then they have a worse outlook. And if they're putting away less, then it's maybe a little better. But I think margins are the big problem facing banks. It's not the economy's fine. Right now, there's no not the credit risk is not too big an issue. Bond prices have stabilized. Um, so that that part of their balance sheet is not getting worse. Um, but the, the margins are among the lowest they've been in 30 years. You know, they're just when they have to borrow money at five percent, five and a half percent and lend it out at seven percent, seven and a half percent. There's just not much in it for them like there used to be. Uh, But the following week, we'll get all the regional banks. And that's where it gets a little more interesting because the deposit outflows are much greater for those banks. And we'll see if that started picking up again. Uh, as rates kind of ticked up a little bit towards the end of uh, last quarter. Um, and they're the ones that have had to sell perfectly good securities at losses purely because of the interest changes in interest rates. So I think the story gets more interesting next week. The story this week from JP Morgan and others is, I think, more an economic story. What do they think about the economy based on what are they doing with their credit reserves? And, and again, yeah, and, you know, these loan loss reserves are, you know, are always an interesting thing, right? Because if they put money into loan loss reserves, that's an expense to earnings. And when they don't use them and they bring them back on, it now becomes income. So, you know, you also right. kind of, when you're looking at, at bank earnings, you also have to track where their earnings are coming from. Because again, uh, you know, let's say that JP Morgan puts away a billion dollars worth of loan loss reserves this year. And next year, there's not been a credit crisis. So all of a sudden, their earnings will jump by a billion dollars because they'll bring that same billion back. They didn't earn a billion more. They just moved it back from loan loss reserves. So this is why it's always important when you're analyzing financial statements and earnings and these type of things. You know, as investors, we tend to just kind of take the headline and run with it and say, oh, they beat earnings. So let's go buy the stock. 
and that's the way the market works in general anyway. But it's and, important to really dig real down. Quick. Yeah, just real quick. It's just important to dig down below the headlines and make sure you're really buying what you think you're buying. Mike, go ahead. Right. And real quick, when you're looking at bank stocks, they're different than every other stock because of just everything about them. Like you said, the credit losses. There's so many other aspects that you can't value them the same way you value other companies. You know, our typical price to sales, price to earnings, all those type of valuation metrics just aren't quite the same cash flows. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at a lot of um, a lot of financial statistics regarding kind of industries, it's always X financials. It's just a different animal than yeah. kind of your more typical company. So just be careful if you're looking at bank stocks and say, no, it only has a PE of five or uh, this and that of whatever. Yeah. It, it's not it's not apples to apples versus a more traditional company. Yeah. And it's the same way with REITs too, um, you know, because of the leverage right. that is used in real estate. So you can't look at leverage ratios the same way you look at, um, say, an industrial or, you know, a, a tech company. Right. Uh, so, you know, this is, and, and this is the important thing about, you know, as you're investing and, and, you know, if you still actually do any type of fundamental analysis rather than just buying what's going up on the chart. Um, you know, it's important to understand, you know, where earnings are derived from, what these things mean, what these ratios mean, uh, to make sure you're actually buying what you think we're, you're buying. But unfortunately, we kind of got rid of fundamental investing about a decade ago. So right. I'm not sure it actually matters anymore. But, you know, we keep hanging, you know, us old guys like me and Mike, we keep hanging on to fundamentals. We think they're going to matter someday. My tombstone will say, here lies Lance Roberts, who still believes fundamentals matter. But, you know... <laughs> <laughs> that may not be too far in the future, but, you know, uh, when we come back from the break, uh, I want to pick up. Uh, Mike wrote a really good article yesterday. I want to touch on that. Um, I'm also reprinting it in the newsletter this weekend because it's something that will potentially have a big impact on the future of the markets. And I've got a couple of questions to throw at Mike about it as well. Uh, so we'll discuss it when we come back from the break. Don't go away. you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com so just recently the federal reserve um put out a white paper talking about the end of an era Michael Leibowitz did a really great job parsing that article yesterday in a blog post that's on our website right now, titled the same thing, The End of an Era. And so if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, you can download the article and get all the relative charts and graphs. Uh, but in a nutshell, Mike, uh, I have a couple of questions to ask you about the article, but just in a nutshell, give us a kind of a brief synopsis of what the Fed paper said uh, about the end of an era and why is it the end of an era? 
So basically what the author did was say how much, so we know over the last 30 plus years, interest rates have dropped steadily and of corporate effect of corporate tax rates have also dropped significantly throughout the 30 years. So basically all the author, all the author does is goes, goes back and says, how much did that, just that contribute to corporate profits? And at the end of the day, he comes up with a number of about 40% of corporate profits were due to interest rates and tax rates, which is interesting. It, it, it's not shocking at first. I was, I, was, I was a little surprised it was that high, but it's not surprising. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reading the article and then I go back and I say, okay, well, let's just look at GDP and corporate profits. GDP and corporate profits should be very similar over longer periods of time because essentially GDP is profit. You know, one is feeding the other. They're all kind of intertangled there. So if you look at the last 30 years compared to the prior 30, 40 years, you, the prior 30, 40 years, you'll see that uh, corporate profits and GDP both grew around seven, seven and a half percent. Over the last 30 years, GDP has only grown about four, four and a half percent. Corporate profits continued to grow at about seven, seven and a half percent. And that's the difference. The reason that that corporate profits have grown three plus percent a year more is from the steady decline in interest rates and tax rates. So, you know, first part of the article summarizes what the author says, and it shows some of his graphs. We created a few graphs, too. And, it, you know, when you really think about it, it is pretty startling what's happened with both uh, tax rates have come down roughly 20 25 percent and interest rates for a lot of companies have come down from you know eight to ten percent to one to three percent um so then i was like okay this is great but let's just let's see if this actually ties out with what we're seeing from companies so i randomly picked mcdonald's we kind of wanted a nice steady growth company, you know, value growth company, not a company like a Microsoft that has had massive growth and it's hard to attribute uh, interest rates and other things to. So so we looked at McDonald's and 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 steady profits. So its tax rate is a little more dependable. And sure enough, with McDonald's, over half of their profits have come from those two factors. We looked at Pepsi, we looked at Coke, we looked at Clorox, same story somewhere between 35 and about 50, 55% of profits purely came from interest rates and tax rates. So that's great, that's great to know. The question is, what does that do for us going forward? And this is where the author and ourselves kind of come to the same conclusion that those were benefits. The question is for those benefits to continue. So for corporate profits to continue to grow more than GDP, you need lower interest rates and lower tax rates. And unfortunately, interest rates are, aren't going, they're gonna go lower from where they've been the last year, but they're really not going lower from where they've been the last five years, which is, you know, not zero, but pretty close to zero. Tax rates, effective tax rates are in a 15 to 20% range. Sure, they can drop another 20%, but given the deficits that the government is running, it's hard to see how they reduce taxes anymore. Um, so 
so you're kind of left with the conclusion that if rates stay where they're at today, then corporate earnings are going to actually get worse or corporate, I'm sorry, corporate earning growth will weaken um, and taxes are probably going to stay the same. And there's a chance they go higher to help pay for some of these deficits. Um, so so I think where that leads us, and this is over the long term, this doesn't mean this is, that tomorrow you got to sell all your stocks. Over the long run, we should expect corporate profits to be running a lot closer to GDP. GDP, nominal GDP, this isn't real GDP, is running four, four and a half percent. And the trend is lower over, you know, over longer periods. So, you and know, again, and that's a function of debt, by the way, is the reason the trend is falling on GDP right. is because of the rising debt levels. Go ahead. Right. And if anything, debt's risen by a lot more over the last few years. So that that trend could kick it up a notch, too. Um, so, you know, the problem we have is that we have valuations that are much higher than normal. You typically pay a higher valuation when you expect a higher growth rate. So if you just look at price to earnings, why would you pay a higher price to earnings than normal? And it's because you think the E in the price to earnings is going to grow more than expected. That would justify paying a higher valuation. So now you have an E that's going to grow. And, and I think people's expectations are more backward biased, right? So what's happened will happen. So you know, again, this is aggregate, but I think a lot of investors are thinking corporate profits grow at 7%. Here's what I need. Here's, you know, what I should be paying for it. And I think in reality over the next, you know, again, not, not, not next week, not next month, but over the next 10, 15 years, we're talking about profit growth. That's probably between three and 4%. So, you know, roughly half of what we've seen with valuations that are 20, 30, 50% more than the norm. And that's, you know, again, a longer run pish, picture, but trouble for the long run stock market. Now, at the same time, the bond market's offering you, treasury market's offering you 4% for, you know, for 10 years, you can lock in. And, the, you know, if you go out, you know, with some credit, take some credit risk, you could get 5 6%. So, you know, if you're an investor that just wants to put, put an investment to work, go to sleep, not trade the markets. It's something really interesting to think about in the trade-off between stocks and bonds for, you know, a long period of time going forward. Yeah, and again, this is we are talking about long-term time frames here, but you know, the but, point of this is is that the ability to generate the margins that, you know, investors have been paying into for the last 20 years in particular are going to be really hard to maintain. Uh, particularly after the the margin expansion we saw during the shutdown, you know, there's there's kind of this belief right now that that you know new high in corporate profit margins is going to remain that way indefinitely, and that becomes more challenging. Now, one of the questions I have to ask you though is that you know one of the big trends to help boost earnings, um, you know, over the last two decades uh, in particular, um, has been stock buybacks. How does that factor into this analysis? It doesn't, and I was using net profits. Just using dollars, right. not earnings per share. So, so the point is, and and that's right. And the point is here is that you know, you know, people and a lot of the people are immediately going to ask, well, what does it matter as long as companies buy back shares, it's fine. It, you know, you can buy back shares, you can reduce your share count outstanding, but that still 
isn't going to have the same impact on margins and and uh, you know the ability to expand those margins if you don't have lower tax rates and lower interest rates in the future. So, right. you know, this has become you know the the question I think ultimately is you know we've had really accelerated earnings growth and and to your point and this is the most important takeaway from this and I've done work on this Mike has done work on this. The correlation between GDP and earnings going back to 1900 is extremely high. And it's a function of the fact that what we do in the, in the economy, what we buy, what we trade, what we sell, that is what generates the revenue for these companies. So it is impossible to maintain a divergence between earnings growth at 7% a year, which is what analysts continue to expect going forward, and an economy that's growing at 2%. Without these other benefits being in play, and you can buy back shares all day long, and it's not going to change that outcome if you can't make up the difference between two percent and seven percent. Right, and Lance, what you're talking about, what I'm talking about, is in the aggregate. Yeah. So that doesn't mean there aren't going to be companies that grow at forty percent, but it also means that there are going to be companies only growing at one percent. Right. You and, put them all together. Right, and this is going to be one of the issues with passive investing. You know, at at some point, let's just assume you're right in your article and I'm a passive indexer, my returns may fall close to zero over the course of the next two decades um, because of, of this combination of effects of high valuations and, and a reduction of the ability to make those spreads. But as a stock picker, I could do exceptionally well. And right, you right. know this, this may bring back, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is this big kind of mindless robot of passive investing that just sucks in money flows and indexes. It's fine as long as indexes are rising. The question is, is if you spend two, three, four years making no money in an index and you see other managers making money picking stocks, that may be the death knell ultimately for the passive investing crowd. And maybe your tombstone one day will say fundamentals actually did matter. <laughs> <laughs> if I live that long, I got to get another 20 years on the books, probably. All right, that's going to wrap up the show for the day, Mike. Thanks so much. Get by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, while you're there, make sure you're registered uh, for our daily market commentary. We put that every day at 730 sharp. Comes to your email inbox. Quick two, three-minute read. Uh, kind of get you set up for the trading day. Earnings, economic data. This morning, we got PPI to talk about. Um, so that's all, that, that comes out every morning at 730. Subscribe for our newsletter. Subscribe for our Before the Bell uh, video commentary, as well as our daily radio show right here. Just click the subscribe button, that little bell icon as well. We'll make sure you're notified every time that we launch a new video on our website as well. So lots of stuff to keep you up to date on the markets, along with our blog posts, more. It's all there at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow with uh, Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for Financial Fitness Friday. See you then.